0: One thing I forgot to let you know is uh, if you're going to join us tonight for the packing party, if you could bring something uh, to snack on and maybe something to drink, that would help us out uh, quite a bit. Um, so that, that's the last little bit of things. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to open them up to the book of James. Uh, If you do not have a Bible, we have several in the seats in front of you or underneath your chair. If you don't own a Bible, feel free to take that with you. I'd love to bless you with that Bible. Uh, You can also turn your phones on or your apps or whatever you do. If you're using our uh, church app, there's a Bible embedded in that. Uh, James uh, we have uh, really wrestled through uh, some topics in James. We're not necessarily taking it verse by verse, but we are taking it chapter by chapter. Today we'll be in James uh, chapter 4, uh, taking a look at what he has to say to us. One of the things that I've learned in being married a little over 21 years is that there are basically two kinds of conversations within marriage. There are uh, feelings conversations, and then there's problem-solving conversations. You guys understand that a little bit? Have you ever gotten that wrong? Um, I have, and and a lot of times I get this backwards. There's there's times where uh, it's my beautiful bride Sandy will be sharing a problem or a situation, and I'm kind of listening to her, but I'm also trying to solve it as she speaks, so that we could speed up the conversation. And not have to have this long, drawn-out feelings uh, talk. If we can just jump right to the solution, then we can, like, bypass. You guys ever play Candyland? You can just bypass and get to the end. Um, and so she's uh, in this mode of, of sharing her feelings. She's a feeler. And I'm thinking, okay, well, let's do this. Let's, let's change this. Let's act this. Let's, let's figure these things out. Um, and I've had to learn that there are times for that, <laughs> but there's also times not to do that. And I've had to learn that the hard way. And, uh, and that's good. It's good for all of us to do that because whether you're a quote problem solver or not, so often, especially in our culture today, and Mark was alluding to this, is we're already thinking about speaking. And last week, we talked on James chapter 3, talking about our tongue, that it could either bring life or it could bring death or destruction. Our tongue is just one of those things that always has to be bridled. It has to be under control. But it's not just our tongue. It's our thoughts. It's our mindset, especially when we're addressing a problem. And today, the text that we're going to look at in James, it's not a feeling conversation. Okay? This is not... Feelings based. There's a lot of passages in the scriptures that are feeling based. This is not one of them. It's a problem solving conversation. And James is going to be direct. He may even be harsh. He's going to be offensive. But again, remember, he's not walking through feelings, he's walking through problems to help us. Solve. And it's, this is a little bit exciting for me because one thing that I do know is that each and every one of us, we have problems. We may not have a problem right this minute, but it may be waiting for us at home or it's waiting for us next Week or it's on hold with a family member or a friend or a work situation, but problems face our world. It's just one of the results of sin. Every single one of us. Now, to one, it might be a small problem, to someone else, it might be a significant problem. But we have problems. And James wants to address problems, specifically conflict. Maybe for you, the struggle that you're facing right now has to do with work. Work's not great, or there is no work. That's really not great. Maybe it's your career. Maybe you have a big problem with a relationship with uh, someone that you love or that you care for. Maybe it's not just a romantic relationship. Maybe it is... Uh, a friendship or or a relationship with a teacher or or a neighbor or, or or someone in your family that you're ostracized from. Maybe it's a, a financial or debt related problem. It's something that just plagues you over and over and over because you have this problem or or a stress. Uh, we we are living in the most stressed out nation ever known to this world, which is fairly interesting because there's so much access to everything that you would think because of so much access we would be happier or not as stressed. We can get things faster so you would think that we're not as stressed but scientists will say that this is the most stressed out our world has ever known. Maybe it's a a struggle or a habit that you can't find your way out of. You've tried. You've brought it before the Lord. You've asked for help. You've asked for accountability, and yet the habit, the struggle continues over and over and over, and you cannot get out of it. Maybe this morning you showed up thinking, I just want to avoid my problems. I just want to come and sit in the chair, hear some good music, listen to a, a message, grab some coffee, have a bagel, and then, and then go home. I just want to escape my problems for just a moment Well, James is going to make this statement very clear, and that is this. You have a bigger problem than your current problem. In other words, you have a bigger problem than that that thing that you're thinking about right now. You have a much bigger problem to address. No matter what's going on with your life, no matter what area that you're thinking about right now, James starts with this question in James chapter 4 starting in verse 1 he says this what causes fights and quarrels among you in other words why are you fighting why are you bickering <coughs> parents you remember uh, maybe you did it this morning I think I only did it maybe a dozen times this morning with my boys is why are you fighting what are you, why are we acting like this And the reality is, what was going on at the time was the church was debating, fighting, quarreling on theology. On a biblical understanding, they were actually fighting with each other. Can you imagine a church fighting with each other? (laughs) Fighting with each other and treating each other poorly over the Bible, over theology. And all of a sudden, principle became more important and they began to just treat each other horrifically. We're going to see examples of this. But what's interesting about James is he doesn't really care why they're fighting. He's not overly concerned about the topic of why they're fighting. He's just concerned that they're fighting. Or at least what's causing this fighting, what they're about. He says your conflicts are not just about your circumstances out there. Your conflict isn't just about what's happening at work or in your marriage or with your kids. You're not just frustrated because somebody has offended you or cut you off on the side of the road. You ever have that? You're driving on twenty-five. And someone does something, and, and you give them a, a, a few paragraphs of your heart, that they never hear. It's not about the person that cuts you off. It, why is it making me feel this way? Mark, Mark brought this up just with the political season that we're in, and we don't talk politics here, but... Boy, you know what politics does is it? it is like David Banner, like the Incredible Hulk. You just, it's his brother, <laughs> middle name, Bruce Banner. You just, got the religious experts over here. Pharisee. That's what politics does. All of a sudden we turn green and mean and and big muscles and ripped jeans and we're just ready to tear someone's head off because we're angry. We have a problem. We have a conflict. Something's going on in our hearts. And James gives you an answer, why do you do this? Because many of you have wondered that as you're driving down 25, you go, why do I react this way? Or guess what? Next week's Thanksgiving, that crazy aunt is coming to your house. And you are going to go, why do I always feel this way the minute she walks in the door? None of, you are fine. I wasn't alluding to you. (laughs) Here's what James says. He essentially says this. Maybe, just maybe, your problem isn't out there. Maybe, just maybe, your problem's in here. Maybe your problem isn't that person or that thing or, or that election or, or whatever you want to fill in the blank. Maybe your problem is right here. And, and trust me, there's not a person in this room that wants to hear that. You know why? Because we would love it if the problem is with them. None of us want the problem to be with us. None of us in this room would choose that. But James goes on to say this. What causes the fights among you? Don't they come from desires that battle in your own heart? Well, let's look. He says this next. He says, you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. And by the way, scholars actually think this wasn't hyperbole. Or a metaphorical thing, there was actually violence in the church where people quarreled and fought so much that they did not just choose to go to another church, they killed each other over conflict. Those that love God. As we looked at last week, the tongue can be so unbelievably dangerous, so can a conflicted heart that it can cause you to kill another brother or sister in Christ. He says this, you covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. These are the appetites, these unmet desires and wants that are driving your life, and you may not know it, you may not even be aware of it, but you feel it. You feel something in your heart that isn't quite right a frustration, an anger, something. And James says the reason that you fight, the reason that you have conflict, the reason that you're in these kind of struggles is because you have these desires to covet, to envy to want power. And there are things that you don't have, and this runs deeply within you. And James says you will hardly even recognize it as time goes on. You know that's part of the most scary thing of sin? Is that you get to a point where you don't even recognize it anymore? You've justified it so many times You've given it life so many times that you don't even see it as your sin anymore. And we see this all throughout scripture. Isaac envied Esau's inheritance, and so he went and he stole it from him. Rachel envied Leah's kids, and so she told her husband to go sleep with the maidservant so that she could have kids. Joseph, his brothers envied uh, his status with his father and so they kidnapped him, literally kidnapped him and threw him in a well. And it goes on and on and on throughout scripture of what does a conflicted heart do? What is the result of a conflicted heart? And, And lots of you in this room or if you're listening online, you know exactly what a conflicted heart does is it begins to eat away and destroy your life. And yes, maybe it's only conversation after conversation or or relationship after relationship, but a, a conflicted heart only gets worse. And then you look back and you find yourself 30, 40 years later going, I'm still dealing with this. I thought I would be past this by now. I want to encourage you, don't beat yourself up, but examine Examine the heart. These these people that James is, is writing to, they craved power. They wanted to be right. Anyone who wasn't with them was wrong. Sound familiar to our times? There's nothing new. And James is is saying, look, you want to be right and you want to be in control. And when there's no control, what happens when there is no control? What comes? Fear. When we lose control, we have fear. That's why there is stress today because we want to control everything. We want to control what our kids choose. We want to control our finances. We want to control our retirement. We want to control government. We want to control church. And when there isn't control, there's fear. And fear makes us do really poor things. Treating others poorly. Choosing our words poorly. And he doesn't stop there. He says, you do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. Any of you ever ask God for the wrong motive? I spent my whole elementary school in the principal's office praying and asking with the wrong (laughs) motives. God, if you'll just get me out of this one, I'll give you all of me. Praise the Lord he didn't call me on that. You you ask with the wrong motives that you spend what you get on your pleasures. In other words, you're too busy to involve him. He becomes a safety net. He becomes that thing that gets you out of fill in the blank. Not for the right desires, not, be, not, not kneeling before the Lord and coming to him, acknowledging his holiness, acknowledging his supremacy in this world, that everything is governed by him, declaring his majesty and asking for anything in his name that you know is within the realm of what he desires. Instead, we come to him with our shopping list. And I'm not, I'm not in any way saying, you, please don't come to me and say, well, Brian said, like, we're not supposed to even ask for anything. It's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that we do have to check ourselves on what are we asking God for. If your prayer life consists of, please keep my family safe, please help us to pay the bills, and uh, help us to have a great time today, your problems are going to be hard. can't just include God flippantly. The problem isn't just conflict, and it's not just you have these unmet desires. The problem is your life seems to be spinning around you, and and we can have, we can have this problem where it's all about us. It's just about me and my family and my kids and my finances and my stress and my, 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 me. And if that's not enough, James digs a little bit deeper. He cuts a little bit closer to the heart and he says this. You adulterous people. Okay. Let's pause there. Those are some powerful words. Quite the accusation. He says, don't you know that friendship with the world means Enmity against God; therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Let's let's unpack this just for a moment. I don't know about you, but I grew up hearing that friendship with the world means taboo sins. Anybody else uh, grow up that way? If you're quote friends with the world, then it's all of these things that you shouldn't do. You you shouldn't dance. You shouldn't uh, listen to rock and roll music. Don't do drugs. Uh, don't drink, don't have sex until you've been married 15 years, like fill in the blank, like all of these things that, hey, if you do these things, then uh, you are friends of the world. And, and don't get me wrong, there, there, there are clearly things in scripture that, that God directs us not to fall into. However, this is not what James is talking about. In any way, shape, or form. He's not talking about the thing of like, oh, you cussed, you're a friend of the world. Oh, you watched that bad movie on HBO. Hello. Uh, You are a friend of the world. That's not what James is referring to. That's not only what he's referring to because what James is talking about of saying you adulterous people, is what's the most important thing in your world? What matters most? (laughs) (laughs) That may have been my Old Spice (laughs) text message. I don't know if God's rolling his eyes or laughing. I love me some old spice. Maybe this is God's way of lightening up a, a hard question. What what matters most in your life? Most followers of Jesus would say Jesus, and they're lying. If we look at how we live our lives, I have this stupid uh, app on my phone now that tells me how much screen time I've used in a week. That is awful. (laughs) I just want to like, I almost turned it off this morning. Because, like, holding a mirror up, it goes, You spent 8% more time on your phone this week than last week. I'm like, I didn't ask you. (laughs) What matters most to you? We have to wrestle with that as followers of Jesus Christ. Our mission statement as a church is that we help every single person that walks through those doors. Take the next step in becoming a more fully devoted follower of Jesus. If we're going to do that, if we're going to become more fully devoted followers of Jesus, we have to wrestle with the question of what is the most important thing in our lives? Statistically, it is your wife or your husband or your job or your friend or your possessions. It is not Jesus Christ. I'm not pointing a finger at... I'm examining that, and I'm going to invite you to examine that. You can do it very easily. You can keep track of how you spend your time this week. It's very humbling. You say, "Well, I, psh, sorry, I, I work ten hours a day." I, I, I'm not saying like take a sabbatical and go up in the woods and sit Indian style. I'm saying, do you walk with God? Do you involve Him in your problems? Is there a conversation? Is there a, is there a drawing near to Him as, as He abides in you? What's at the center of your life? I told you at the start, this is not a feelings conversation. This is addressing a problem. And then James Continues to get the core of who you are, seeing what's at the center of your life. Sin is is basically saying, I am my biggest problem. A really healthy thing you could do this afternoon when you walk home is to look at yourself in the mirror and say out loud to yourself, so-and-so or this thing is not your problem, you are if you're courageous enough to do that. Does that mean that your problems go away? Does that mean your problems aren't because of something else? Absolutely not. But how we receive the problems and what we do with the problems has to do with you, no one else. And if we're bold enough, if we're we're courageous enough to address that, then God begins to address that in our lives. Paul wrote about this. the book of romans he says this so i find this law at work although i want to do good evil is right there with me for in my inner being i delight in god's law but i see another law at work in me waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me this is all going on inside of paul This is all at work, even though the greatest leader in the early church is trying to follow Christ. He says, even though I'm trying to do all of this, that thing is always right there. And then he says this, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? In other words, who can solve your biggest problem? And he says, thanks be to God. This is an amazing point in scripture. Paul is, is essentially at his lowest point. What a wretched man am I? Who can just take this body from me? It's, it's, it's destined for death. But thanks be to God at this low moment, who can rescue me? I'm wretched. Who can solve my biggest problem? And then he burst into an attitude of gratitude. And he said, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You and I have a problem beneath the problem that came to mind. A significant problem. And it's a problem that only our Lord Jesus can take care of. Our circumstances may or or won't change. But God himself can take care of our heart. He can address those things with us. If we're willing to be honest about it. Now, I I know in a room this size, there are some of you that you may not physically doing it, but in your heart, you're crossing your mind and going, well, I have a conflict, but it's their fault. Uh, We wouldn't even have this problem if it were them if it wasn't for them in my life, if they hadn't done such and such or whatever. And that might be so. But it's this problem of sin. And James says, well, who can solve it? God can. Uh, who, who can take care of me when I finally lay down at night and my head hits the pillow and my mind is racing with these things. God can We're at odds with God. And then the text says, but he gives us more grace. And then he cites Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34. He says this, that is why scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor. In other words, he gives grace to the humble. Grace is the power of God to do for you, which you cannot do for yourself. You want to know your limitations as uh, as a breathing man or woman on this planet? You can't give yourself grace. You can't forgive yourself of sin. You can't grant mercy. You can't look in the mirror and say, I throw your sin as far as the east is from the west and I gladly give myself for you. You can't do that. Only God himself can do that. Grace, forgiveness, and freedom from shame and guilt that you cannot escape on your own. And this is why Jesus came. This is why Jesus was born to us and we will sing uh, Christmas praises in the coming weeks. And we will celebrate with beautiful Christmas trees and and Christmas lights and, and, and this triumphant event on Christmas Eve because He came for you and for me. And this is why Jesus died to offer grace. To give you grace. Right here, right now, whatever the conflict is, wherever you have been wrong in your actions, attitude, demeanor, behavior, fill in the blank, there's grace. You've spewed venom, there's grace. You're an atheist and you, you've, you've walked away with God for your whole life, there's grace. Grace. You're a skeptic and you're sitting here right now hoping to God this service ends because you don't like being here and you don't agree with anything we're saying. There's grace. You want nothing to do with God because you think he's going to take away all your fun. There's grace. Your your marriage uh, is falling apart because you've been the idiot and you've caused most of it. There's grace. You've been kind of an absentee uh, parent and, and not really involved in your kids and, and not really poured into them. Faith and love and gentleness and mercy and, and humbleness. There's grace. You yelled at someone on the way here, whether they were in your car or not, there's grace. We all do it. If if you think people don't have fights on their way to church, you're naive. But there's grace. If you've been unfaithful in your marriage, there's grace. If your whole life has always been about you and, and conflict all around you, there's grace. grace for every single one of us. And I know some people in the church will say, well, gosh, if you're just going to toss out grace, like it's candy on the 4th of July parade, doesn't that cheapen grace? Doesn't that lower the bar? Because I'm working my tail off. I'm reading the Bible. I'm praying. I'm, I'm trying to live the life of Jesus. Like if you're just going to toss it out like candy, doesn't that lower the bar? And what I want to say to you is grace doesn't lower the bar. It clarifies who's holding it. Grace in in no way drops that bar to a lower standard. It just reminds us that God himself is the one who's holding the bar of grace. And that is a message every single person in this world who views Christianity as judgmental and hypocritical and stuck in their own ways and pointing fingers that this world around us desperately needs to hear. That the church, that following Jesus is not a bunch of finger pointing, it's salvation by no other name than Jesus. It's grace by no other name than Jesus. I'd love for you to pray with me as we get ready to to worship again this morning. James essentially comes to a point in this book in chapter four where he stands against those people who would say, I can do it on my own. I'm good by myself. I don't really need help. And if, and if you're in a place where you can utter these words and say, gosh, I'm, I am my biggest problem. <laughs> it's not the world around me. It's not the people around me. It's not circumstances around me. I am my biggest problem. Then you are primed and ready for a boatload of grace to wash over you. Let's pray together. God, it's been one of those mornings. <laughs> but my heart is grateful that no matter how the morning goes, no matter what the circumstances bring, you are recognized for who you are. You are acknowledged as the God of all creation, maker of heaven and earth, the giver and the sustainer of life. Somehow, in some way, in in some mystical, unknown way, even in the midst of horrific, evil tragedy like in California, we know that you are present. And we read those passages that say that there may be pain in the night, but the joy comes in the morning. Christmas song that says there is a new and glorious morn. And God, we wish conflict, we wish tension was not a part of this world, but it is. And yet, you in your scriptures give us Christ followers very clear directions on how to operate, what our mindset should be. Focused on love first, and patience, and listening. So I pray that as we go home today, as as we get ready for the packing party, and uh, maybe go sledding or out to lunch or whatever we're going to do today, nap. Our prayer is that you would uh, keep reminding us that steady, small voice of what step do we need to take in becoming more fully devoted, following you. So I'm unbelievably grateful for these friends. Again, thank you for the beauty that is outside. And as we worship and you travel the world looking for those who will worship you in spirit and in truth, would you find that at Rock Creek Church? of kings, we pray. Amen. Would you please stand?